we're in sort of those transitional weeks right now. So through the school year, we've had worship for the kids next door while we worship in here. Our plan for the summer is to have the children worship with us up until this point in the service and then dismiss them uh, so that they can go to uh, their Sunday school classes and they don't have to listen to me talk. So we're they're figuring it out. It's the first first week of that. The other thing that's happening as we're transitioning is we have ended our time in Romans for now. So we finished Romans chapter 4 last week. We will pick up Romans chapter 5 in the fall again. In between, we're going to have our songs for summer. So each summer, we go through several of the psalms, and we have some songs for for the summertime, which is really refreshing. Puts us in the Old Testament for a little bit, some beautiful poetry. Also is a little bit easier as people are a little bit more hit and miss on summer Sundays, which I hate to acknowledge, but I will admit it. The people miss here and there, and so we we don't do a sequential series. We do the Psalms, and so it's a little bit easier that way. Um, but between now, between Romans and Psalms, we're squeaking in two weeks on our church mission statement just because we can. Okay, and so our church mission statement is that uh, we want to engage those disconnected from God so they delight in Him through Jesus. We want to engage those disconnected from God, and we, we recognize that sometimes that disconnection is permanent or seems permanent, right? They are, they are totally disconnected from God. And sometimes that disconnection is temporary. I have felt close to God, and right now I feel disconnected, right? And so uh, we want to engage both of those kinds of people. So if you're coming in this morning feeling like, Man, I'm just, I just don't feel that close to God this morning. We want to engage and help you feel connected to God so that you delight in Him. That, that, that's our standard, right? If, if we're not delighting in God, we're in some way disconnected. And so we want to engage those who are disconnected from God so they delight in Him through Jesus. That, that's what we're doing. And so in order for us to look at this a little bit uh, more scripturally, let's go to Matthew chapter 9 this morning. Matthew chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 9. Matthew chapter 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is a really short little story. And there's a lot packed in here in just a few sentences. Right? The first thing that happens is that Jesus is passing on from there. Where's there? He's been uh, hiking all over Israel and, and uh, more recently Galilee, and he's been preaching 
about the kingdom of God and he's been healing the sick and uh, freeing uh, people that are possessed by demons. And most recently, uh, he's been in a, a situation where these friends carried on a mat a paralytic. And he looked at the paralytic and he said, your, su- your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees and scribes and the religious leaders were standing around and they looked at him and went, what? You're, who are you that you claim to have the authority to forgive sins? And Jesus looked at them and said, so that you know I have the authority to forgive sins, stand up and walk. And the paralytic got up and walked. And so as he went from there, then he's passing by Matthew sitting in his tax booth and he goes, hey, follow me. Follow me. And so Matthew is called by Jesus to be a follower of him. And he does. I I don't know what kind of contact he's had before. Certainly he's at least heard of Jesus, right? The, the, The episode with the paralytic didn't happen that far away. And I'm sure Matthew knows about that. But so here comes Jesus walking by and he says, follow me. And Matthew goes, okay, I'm going to follow you. Gets up out of his tax booth and he starts to follow Jesus. Now, as I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking about how weird is that? Both that that Jesus calls him and the kind of person that Jesus called is a tax collector. They weren't particularly popular. Not not like today where we love IRS agents, right? (laughs) People didn't love them back then. And so he calls this guy to be his follower, to come along with him. And he just, he gets up and he follows him. He just leaves the tax booth there and goes, okay, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to follow you. Just the whole episode just seems really weird. And then this whole story is just, is disjointed. Because it says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table, hang on, where'd the table come from? I'm not used to to that. As you walk down the road and you talk to somebody at the tax booth and then suddenly you're sitting at the table. That just, that hasn't happened for me recently. But here this is, this is the way that Matthew describes it and recognizing that this is coming from Matthew. He's writing the, his own story of calling. He doesn't bother to tell us where they're at. Whose house they're in? Is this Jesus' house? Is this Peter's house? Is it Matthew's house? Matthew doesn't bother to tell us. Fortunately, Luke does. Luke tells us it's Matthew's house. Matthew Levi. But Matthew, he doesn't, he doesn't care where it is. He knows. He was there. But he doesn't care if you know. What you, he wants you to know is that these things happen really close together. One happened, then the, he was called, and then they were eating in his house. That's what Matthew wants you to know. Now think about that. If I came to you and said, follow me, 
where do you think we would end up first? Maybe my house. Maybe we would go out on the street somewhere. Maybe we would end up at the church or the synagogue in, in their case. But probably the first place we would end up, you didn't think it would be at your house, huh? Then I would be following you. Come with me, I'm going to follow you. Like a puppy, I'm going to follow you home. Can you keep me? But here Jesus is, is, says, follow me. And what he means by that is, I want you to come and walk with me. I'm going to be the teacher. You're going to be the disciple. You're going to learn from me. And I'm going to show you who God is. I'm going to help you understand theology. But I'm going to help you understand that in the walk of life. And so you can observe the way that I live in everything that I do. And so the first place that he goes is Matthew's house, which is pretty cool. Because when I think about conversion and becoming a Christian, I think about, okay, now I'm going to have to learn all the new stuff I do. But Jesus' approach is, I'm going to show up in your house with your friends and your family, and I'm going to show you how to be a Christian where you already are. Now, there are lots of places in the Scripture that Jesus calls people and He says, follow me. And what He's asking them to do is forsake and leave everything behind and go someplace completely new. And Jesus does that today. He calls people and He says, follow me to China. Follow me to Indonesia. Follow me to Ukraine. Follow me to downtown Portland. Follow me. But other times, He does like this with Matthew. Follow me home. Follow me. Walk with me in your community and let me show you how to interact in your own community. Because I have called you to be my follower and my disciple and my witness where you already are. And so here's Jesus. And it says in verse 10, And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Heavy emphasis on the reclining. Jesus was reclining. They were reclining. Everybody was reclining at the table. They were sitting down together. This wasn't like they were both walking through uh, town and stopped at McDonald's together. They didn't just both go through the drive-thru. Jesus didn't show up at Matthew's house and look at all these, these sinners and, and go, uh, okay, i sorry to have to eat and run, but there's a lot of tax collectors here and I can't be associated with them. Instead, what Jesus does is He reclines with them. He sits down. They all are sitting there together. And they're eating together. Associating with one another. Do you ever do that? Sit and eat with people? Something happens when we do that. Barriers are broken down. Discussion happens. I can interact with the same people over and over again, but when I sit down and have a meal with them, somehow we start talking about stuff we never talked about before. 
We engage in relationship in a significant way. Just because we ate together, which is weird. But somehow, eating together, doing this thing that we both have to do, right? We both need the nourishment that comes from food. And as we do that together, there's something natural that happens that we just build relationship there. We're building a common experience and we're building some, some relationship. This is why we encourage our life groups to eat meals together every time they get together. Why do we want you to do that? So that you get to know one another. It's great that you sit down in a living room or on the couches or, or, or whatever and you discuss the Bible together, but there's something informal that happens when you're eating together. Different conversations, different topics come up and I really get to know you. When we're studying the Bible together, we can be very guarded. What do you think about this? Well, back in my Sunday school class with this great teacher, let me tell you about how great this teacher was. He was a seminary prof that just happened to go to our church. And so he taught us, and I have authority from him, that he taught us these things. And we'd show how smart we are, or we sit there and go, Oh, I don't want to say anything because I don't have a teacher like that. In my background, I'm still trying to figure this out. And there's all of this that happens when we're just sitting around talking. But when we start eating food together, what did you do this week? Oh, I had an awful day at work today. The commute was terrible. You don't talk about that in the Bible study part. But stuff comes up. Oh, that's really difficult. How's that transition going at work? How are you dealing with your kids right now? Well, you can see they're right over there. Do you think it's improved? I don't know. Not since last week. But there's something that happens over food when we talk this way. That's why once a month as a church, and you are lucky because it's today, we go next door after the service and we eat together. So that we get to know one another. Because people come into the church all the time. They visit, visit the church. And, oh, they're very friendly there. They greet you. They say hi. And then I leave again. And I don't know anybody. And I don't know how to get connected at this church. I have an idea for you. Come next door after the service and eat with us. It's a great way to connect with people and get to know people. And identify this is part of my community. That's what happens when you're eating with somebody. You're, you're identifying with them. And in fact, that's what's happening here with Jesus. He's identifying with these tax collectors and sinners. In fact, so much so that it becomes a little bit of a scandal or a lot of bit of a scandal, depending on who you are. And Jesus reclined at the table in the house and behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? I've just noticed you got called by Jesus to be his follower and observe the way that he lives. Have you observed the way that he lives? The unsavory characters that he hangs out with? Have you noticed that Jesus hangs out with sinners? Sinners! Why does he do that? And tax collectors! Why would you hang out with a tax collector? 
They're the worst people on earth. Always trying to separate you from your money. The swindlers, the cheats, the liars, all of those people. That's the people that Jesus hangs out with. Why is that? In many ways, he seems like a great teacher. He seems to know the Bible. He seems to know and understand who God is. He understands the history of Israel. He's a healer. In many ways, we look at this guy and say, look at how amazing this guy is. He's one of the greatest teachers or prophets or something that we've ever seen. But then he goes and hangs out with these losers. What's he doing? Why does he do that? The disciples are going, I don't know, but it's kind of fun. You want to join us? No. No, I don't want to join you. Because I'm righteous. I'm holy. I care about who God is. Which is why I do all the right stuff. I go to church. I read my Bible. I pray. I don't hang out with those kinds of people. In fact, if you want to start measuring the kinds of things that I do, I'd be happy to let you just check out everything. I tithe. I give. I sacrifice. This is all the stuff that I do because I am righteous. I am dedicated to God. Unlike that teacher, Jesus. Why does He do that? Now, those, those Pharisees weren't sitting in that meal, right? Maybe they walked by and they saw a lot of stuff happening at Matthew's house and they were like, what in the world? Did you hear Jesus is in there? You want to go into the party? No. Maybe they heard about it, but somehow they became aware of this happening and were aware that yet again, Jesus is hanging out with these tax collectors and with sinners and with people that he shouldn't be hanging out with. And so they ask the disciples, what's going on here? Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard it, verse 12, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, those who are sick, they need a physician. Of course, of course I'm hanging out with sinners. They need it. They need it. Sick people need a physician. When's the last time you were well and you voluntarily went into the doctor? I just did, actually. It was the silliest thing I've ever done. My insurance changed and I wanted to meet the guy that was going to take care of me if ever anything happens to me. And so I went walking in there and he said, what are you doing here? I said, well, I wanted to meet you in case I ever need you. He was like, okay, well, let me check you over. Looks fine. Yeah, that's what I thought. Have a nice day. Should we run some labs just in case? I guess. Then you'll have a baseline, I suppose. Yep, looks good. That'll be 50 bucks. You didn't mention that before the labs. 
I changed my mind. I don't need them. Why am I here? I don't know. Why are you here? And that's what Jesus is saying here. The, the well people, they don't need a physician. The sick people, they need a physician. Here I come teaching, proclaiming the kingdom of God and repentance. And who needs to hear it? It's the sinners who need to repent. The well don't need a physician. The sick. The sick need a physician. And the Pharisees are sitting there going, eh, maybe. But I understand ceremonial law. And if I hang out with people that are unholy, that doesn't make them holy. That makes me unholy. I will be defiled by hanging out with them. And I'm really confident that I need to not be defiled. I need to be righteous before God. And Jesus' response is, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came to call the right, not the righteous, but sinners. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And just like that, Jesus flips their whole understanding of religiosity upside down. How many words is that? I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Oh, how did I do that? It's six words and I counted five. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. There it is. Six words. And in six words, he flips over their understanding. I, I still think they may not get it. But they can't help but see what he's saying. Because what he's doing is he's referring them back to Hosea chapter 6. And in the context of Hosea chapter 6, it's been talking about unfaithful Israel. And how Israel has not been doing what they're supposed to be doing and how they are sick. And need to be healed. And how God is going to come and He is going to judge them and bring judgments on them and then subsequently heal them once they repent. Once they understand their sin and have experienced His judgment, then they will begin to repent. That's what's going on in Hosea. Because, he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I desire steadfast love. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. And here are the Pharisees going, we are sacrificing for our righteousness so that we might demonstrate ourselves to be righteous. And what he's telling them very clearly is, you're not. You are not righteous. You are sinners in need of a physician. And you know it because you are not coming for God's mercy and compassion. All of those religious laws that you are observing, all of those things that you are doing so that you can show how righteous you are, you are not realizing that what they're actually showing is how sinful you are and your inability to demonstrate yourself to be righteous because you aren't. All of those laws are intended to show you your sin 
so that you might recognize your need for a physician, your need for a healer, your need for someone to justify you in God's sight. And you're not seeing it. And so very clearly he points them back to Hosea and he puts them in that context so that they can't miss it. And he says to them, because I desire mercy, compassion. What was Matthew doing at that at his party? I have no idea. He was being hospitable. Had a bunch of people over. I don't know what his purpose was in that, but I can tell from this what Jesus' purpose was. Because he had compassion. And he was looking at all these broken people and going, oh, they need me. They need salvation. They need restoration. They are so broken. Look at all the sin that they've gotten themselves into. What happens to somebody who gets into that much sin? Nothing good. What happens to somebody so far from God, so broken? Why did they get that far away? Because they don't understand who God is. If you know who God is, you act in accordance with His righteousness. But when you're deceived about who God is, if you think that God is distant and uncaring and unloving, then I'm just going to do whatever I want because what does it matter anyway? God doesn't care. He's just out there somewhere. I might as well live for today. If you think that God is harsh and judgmental and you're terrified of Him, you're just going to hide. I, I don't want I don't want to do anything with God. I'm going to stay away. My, I will never darken the door of a church because I know who I am. And if He judges me like I think He will, I want nothing to do with that. And they avoid. And Jesus comes along and He sees them and He goes, you don't know who God is. And his heart goes out to them. He's so compassionate. He's so merciful. You need help. And at the same time, those Pharisees and religious leaders are trying to worry about their own righteousness, not recognizing that it is by God's mercy that they receive his favor, not their work. And because of that, they don't see how much these other people need their mercy. It is once we understand and see and experience God's mercy toward us that then we begin to look at other people and show them mercy in a new way. Because we know. Yeah, me too. It looks different. But me too. Paul in 1 Timothy, <clears throat> describes this, right? Who, Paul, the Pharisee, the Pharisee of Pharisees, righteous person of righteous person, 
He, he was the guy. He was more zealous than anybody, passionately following God. He just had it all wrong. But passionately a Pharisee. The best Pharisee of all Pharisees. And he gets into 1 Timothy and he says, I thank, the, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had, had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. That's what the response should be. I love and am compassionate and am reaching out to people because I can see how broken they are and I know that they need God like I have experienced God. They're mixed up and don't understand, and I just know it. And so Jesus is with Matthew in this party, in the in his house, to show Matthew, look, Matthew, just like I called you, and nobody would call you, let's be honest. But I did. And just like I called you, let me show you what this looks like. Do I have to preach at him? Nope, please don't. Explain the whole thing? Nope. Mercy. Just mercy. Just be there and listen. He's reclining at the table with them and he's getting to know them. Now there's just a lot that we don't know about what's happening here, right? Matthew gives us one verse. So I have to, I have to just say, this is what I know about Jesus. Every conversation that Jesus has is intentional. Whether he's sitting by the well in the hot sun, or walking down the road and talking with somebody, or upfront teaching, Every conversation he has is intentional. He understands people. And here he's identifying with them. He's sitting with them. He's eating with them. And I imagine him there. Just talking. Like we do. Talking around the table. Knowing, understanding, answering questions if they ask them. See, we, we get put in this place of this self-righteousness and the things that we should do, right? Well, I should go to church and I, I really ought to wear a suit and tie if I was really holy. Good thing there's nobody here like that. And memorize God's Word and spend time praying and give 10% of everything that I get and all of these things, all of these things. And, and on top of that, what we add, if, if you were really holy, what you would do is you would go and proclaim the Gospel to unbelievers, right? So you've hit minimum holiness right now that you made it to church. Well done. Next level of holiness, you actually have a personal devotional life. But if you really want to achieve righteousness, you go out and you proclaim to people. No, come on. 
That's what the, the kind of thing that the Pharisees had, that self-righteousness. We're not trying to earn God's favor by doing that. What we're doing is we're experiencing God's love and mercy for us, and we're showing that to other people. And how do you do that? You just spend time with them compassionately. You spend time with them compassionately. That's it. I know it sounds hard. But when you do that, you find that you can't put yourself in a place of judgment anymore. Because you know and understand in a way that you didn't before. And so if you want to evaluate how am I doing on this, you just go through a checklist of the people you're judgmental toward. Because most of the people, individuals or people groups that you're judgmental toward, I'm guessing you have little or no contact with them. That's the, Those are the ones that are easiest for me. Oh yeah, those guys... Yeah, I don't want to. I've never met one I liked. And yet, other times, I'm talking with somebody in the church and I hear theirs, right? They go, oh, this kind of a person? No way. Now, you don't know any of those, do you? Because I have a friend. We're not great friends. We're little friends. But it's enough that I see why they're that way. And man, are they confused about who God is. And man, are they hurt and broken. And so all that sin that you see, all that stuff that you hate about them, the things that they think, there's a reason that they think those things. And you're right. They are going to experience the judgment of God and in some ways already are. They are not finding fulfillment in that life. And it breaks my heart. I would challenge you, if you have somebody that you're like that toward, whether it's an individual or a people group, ask them to lunch. My mom always told me that growing up in school. If you have a problem with somebody, just invite them over for dinner. What? Are you out of your mind? That's the last person on earth I want to invite over for dinner. Yep. If you have a problem with somebody, you invite them over for dinner. Because it's really hard to hate somebody you have a relationship with. Both for you and for them. You know, I resolved every single issue. I never had to invite somebody over for dinner. Mom go, you have a, you having a problem? Do you need me to invite them over for dinner? No, Mom, I got it. <laughs> Looking back, I wish I had invited a lot more people over for dinner. I don't know if they would have taken me up on it, but I bet it would have changed our relationship. I bet it would have changed a lot of things. 
And so what I would like to encourage you to do this summer is identify people to be hospitable toward. Who are you going to invite over for dinner? Maybe you're going to invite them over for dinner because you already have some relationship with them and you like them and you just like to deepen that relationship. Maybe you need to invite somebody over for dinner because you hate them. And it could be awkward. But that's okay. Invite some friends. This is, this is a, a, a thing that I have started to realize. That I don't connect with everybody. I really try and want to, but there are some people I don't connect with. But I know the kind of person that they would connect with. And so if I invite them both over, I get to know both of them. And they connect with each other and it makes it not awkward. Seriously, works. There are people in your life group that might connect better than you do. Invite the person from your life group and your neighbor over. They'll both love you for it because they'll connect. And you go, oh, man, I just don't get it. I saw this happen. I was at a family reunion last week. There was uh, this cousin that I know fairly well and this new guy to the family that I didn't know at all. And they started talking. And my cousin, though I love him, he has two topics that he talks about. Bicycles and cameras. That's it. And so as he's talking, in this case, cameras, with this guy that I don't know and they don't know each other, I'm going, oh, because he doesn't care. I'm standing there. I'm part of this conversation. I don't know why, but I was. And they're talking cameras. And he's talking about this lens and how wonderful it is and how this lens only works with this model of camera and not that model of camera because this year that one came out and then the other year that one came out. And I'm going, oh, cousin, he doesn't care. He does not care. And then all of a sudden the other guy goes, yeah, actually I was a Nikon salesman in Japan for a few years. Did you know? What? And suddenly that conversation went, Whoosh! And they got really deep into cameras and I was way over my head. And I realized I am so stupid. Because here I'm judging my cousin and going, nobody cares about this. And here he's talking to somebody who cares. Maybe you have something like that that you need to repent of. So that we can engage in relationship. Or maybe you just need to bring a friend along. So it's somebody who cares. But try. Try it. Because what I find is that when I experience God's mercy and compassion, it makes me more eager to share His mercy and compassion with others. And when I share God's mercy and compassion with others, I understand it in a much more rich way. So I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm going, I did not hand these out before the service because I didn't want you to look at them without context. Now you have context. This is next door. We want to resource you this summer to have barbecues, neighborhood meals, inviting people over. Maybe inviting people over is two. Maybe inviting people over is 15. It depends on your level of hospitality and comfort. Some some of you are much more comfortable if there's 15. Some of you are much more comfortable if there's two or maybe one would be best. Okay, so I'm going to hand these out. Um, 
right after the service. And, and you can actually, I'm just going to pass them around. Otherwise, you don't get one. I know you. <laughs> you'll walk by and you'll go, oh, I didn't see them. I guess I can't. I love you, but I know you. And this is our desire. Just engage in compassionate relationship with people. Just engage in compassionate relationship with people. We engage with those who are disconnected from God. So they delight in Him through Jesus. And that's what we're celebrating this morning in communion. We are celebrating that you and I come to God through His mercy and compassion. Not by our self-righteousness, but because He said, I love you and I understand that you cannot be righteous before me. And so I am giving you the sacrifice of my Son. And we celebrate that this morning. And so if you uh, believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then I would encourage you uh, during the next song to come up, take the bread and the cup. There's a table in the back and one in the front. Uh, you can take the, the bread and the cup back to your seat and then I'll get up after the next song and we can uh, take that together to remember what Jesus has done for us. But now let's go to him in prayer. Our Father in heaven, you are great and gracious. And Lord, we acknowledge that you came to save sinners. You came to call not the righteous, but the sinners, and we are counted as those. We acknowledge it, and we are so grateful that because of your love and your mercy, you have accepted us because of the sacrifice of your Son. And so, Lord, we ask, would you help us to remember that, that we are not self-righteous, but we are made righteous? And would you awaken in us a heart of mercy and compassion? Lord, when we begin to be judgmental, would you reveal that to us? Show us of the things that we need to repent of so that we can be compassionate and gracious. And we will do this so that we can praise you for our own salvation, for our own experience of your mercy and grace, and so that we can praise you for your mercy and grace poured out on many. And we do this in Jesus' name. Amen.